Welcome to The House Podcast. We want to encourage you wherever you're at today. Reach out or email us at any time, and we hope you enjoy today's message. I want to introduce you to our new series called um, Worth the Wait. And uh, quick show of hands. Um, we just came through Black Friday. How many of you spent any time in a lineup in Bla- on Black Friday at all? Could be for a few minutes, could be quick show of hands. Come on, I know there's a few. It, you, this is, I'm, not, I'm not like embarrassing you. It's okay. Um, I know, the rest of you, I know, I know you're at Canadian Tire. I saw you there. So like, you can't get away from the, the, the hand up. Um, I was driving uh, on Thursday morning and it was like 8.45 and there was a lineup, like a massive lineup outside of Canadian Tire on Thursday, like the day before Black Friday. So I don't even want to imagine what it was like on, on Friday. Um, we wait uh, all the time, don't we? Uh, the average North American uh, will spend years of their lives waiting, years spent waiting. In fact, we spend about four months of our lives um, waiting at red lights, Six months if you are driving on Harvey regularly, it adds a couple months. Um, the average person will spend about 20 months waiting for their spouse or their kids to get ready. Um, that's just a lot of time. A five and a half months uh, waiting on slow technology. So think like the spinning wheel. Five and a half months of that that you can look forward to. 3.9 months waiting for the kettle to boil and one and a half months waiting on hold. We spend a lot of time waiting, and it's an inescapable reality of our world. And in the last few years, with supply chain issues, with you know um, inventory and all of that kind of stuff, we've probably spent more time waiting than in years past. Uh, one of my least favorite things ever is when you call, you know, whether it's your bank or um, you know the phone service or WestJet, or you're, you're trying to like talk to a real human being. And uh, you get like the robo, the robo person. And they've, they've got all the menu options and you're just like, I wanna talk to a human. And they make you jump through all the, the obstacles. Like it's like press zero and then you get there and then there's another menu. And after you finally get through the maze of options to get to a real human being, you get this like uh, estimated wait time. You love that? Your estimated wait time is, and then there's like this long pause, and you're just like, oh, please, Lord. And then you just hear a number, seven, you're like, please be minutes, hours, no! Like, it's just every time, it's like they, the, the, the wait times get longer. I got a callback from, from Kudo, and it was like the next available callback was three weeks from them. Like, it was just so bonkers. So I, I don't even know what I did. I think I just waited on hold for seven hours. Um, we wait all the time. Not just for those kinds of things, not just for Black Friday deals, but for significant things as well. For the right job. To hear back from from an interview. We wait for a spouse. We wait for kids. We wait for a medical procedure. We wait all the time for significant things. For a job, a vocation that maybe fits your personality, your gifts, your experience. For the right house to buy, or the right condo to rent. But despite how common waiting is, it's not something we really enjoy, and it's not something we really like to embrace. In fact, our culture, in our culture, waiting feels like wasting. It feels like wasted time. In a culture of instant gratification, waiting feels like 
wasted time. We could use that time to be more productive, to buy something, to accomplish something, to do something else. In a culture like ours, where anything you want is at your fingertips, the press of a button, with next day shipping options, with, with all sorts of new gadgets and devices to make your life easier and simpler, we can't handle waiting. It feels like wasting. But just think about some of the things that we spend our money on and some of the, uh, uh, the new kind of things that we buy. Think about the Instant Pot. <laughs> just the name... Ha- Quick show of hands. Come on, people. How many people? Instant Pot. It's okay. Nice. Instant Pot. Just think about the name. We love the Instant Pot because we want our food instantly. We want it immediately. Someone was telling me last week about their air fryer um, and how I needed to buy an air fryer on Black Friday because they're such amazing deals. And one of the things they said about it was that it's like an oven. You just don't have to wait for it to preheat. And I was like, so do I need a whole new appliance just to, just to cut out the preheat time, like the 20 minutes? <laughs> I know some of you, you think your, your, your sweet potato fries are so crispy. You're like, you need one. But, but sometimes we just buy things to like cut out any bit of waiting that we, that we can. We live in a culture of instant gratification where waiting feels like wasting. We want to get rich quick. We want to get fit quick. Yet we also want that 10-second bacon that you can just throw in the microwave and it pops out and it's warm and it's kind of nasty. We want all of those things all the time instantly. It's one of the reasons why supply chain issues have been so frustrating. Like, you know, I want my Toyota now. Like, we want our stuff immediately. And so we have this tension. On one hand, we spend a lot of time waiting. And on the other hand, we don't really like waiting at all. Usually, we end up reacting in one of two ways. The, the first way is that we just distract ourselves. And if you've been in any sort of like clinic or waiting room, everyone is on their phones. We distract ourselves just to get through this, you know, God-awful time of waiting. We just, anything to just kind of numb us, to just, you know, fill our mind. But, but worse than that is we get angry. We get irritable. We get frustrated. We get hangry as we wait, Right? Waiting, though, is significant because it, it, it's the context for the Christmas story. See, on this side of the Christmas story, um, we kind of know what happens. <laughs> so, like, I don't think I'm spoiling it. Jesus comes, right? We, we know the story. We know how it all happens, the shepherds and the angels. And we love that story, but we so often miss the fact that the Christmas story, the context for it, the background of it is waiting. It's a season of prolonged waiting. In fact, it's what scholars call the the silent years. This period of time between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. It's like 400 years where we don't get any inspired text. There's no prophets. There's no kind of uh, canonized books of, of the Bible that come out of this period of time. It's like this season of waiting as the people of God were in exile. It's this ultimate cliffhanger. They've been taken from their land, from their homes, into a foreign land by a foreign ruler, and they're waiting for God to send his Messiah. The word wait appears in the Bible over 120 times, but it's a theme that's present in almost every story, every character, every person that we kind of look up to. It's what Peter Scazzaro calls the confusing in-between. 
the, the in-between, what God promised and the fulfillment of that promise. There's this in-between time where we wait. And sometimes we wonder, what is God doing? Is he doing anything? Is he here? Is he with me? Does he hear me? The confusing in-between. Or as the great theologian and philosopher, Dr. Seuss, calls it the waiting place. Here's what he writes about the waiting place. Waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go or the phone to ring or the snow to snow or waiting around for a yes or no, waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. Waiting for the fish to bite or waiting for wind to fly a kite or waiting around for Friday night or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake or a pot to boil or a better break or a string of pearls or a pair of pants or a wig with curls or another chance. Everyone is waiting. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for in this season? Maybe you feel like you're in a season of waiting. Waiting for that perfect job, waiting for that that spouse waiting for that house to buy or for that deal to go through. The waiting place is a familiar place, usually one that we linger in much longer than we would like. But as we enter the Christmas season, and more importantly, as we enter the Christmas story, I want to invite you to reframe the waiting place, not as wasted time, not as a wasted space and time, but as a sacred time, as a sacred space. Because in the waiting place, God so often does his best work in us. God so often does his best work in us. See, again and again throughout the Psalms, in particular, we get this imperative, this command to wait. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. In Psalm 37, it says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 39, it says, now Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Psalm 62, my soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. Or Psalm 30, 130, which says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits and in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. And then we get a classic. It's everyone's favorite fridge magnet. Isaiah 40, verse 31. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. See, the context for these passages is not a, a seasons of abundance or peace or blessing. The context for these passages is so often those years in between in between what God promised he would do and his fulfillment of that promise. Many of those prayers come during seasons of loneliness, of dark seasons, where the people of God were waiting, longing for God to act. But the imperative remains, wait upon the Lord. Some of you know I've gotten strangely uh, excited about my garden in the last couple of years. Um, there's something so fulfilling about gardening. And uh, one of my favorite seasons is the spring season where, you know, you kind of, the snow is melted, you brush off the leaves, you get the garden just perfectly, you know, it's so level. It's all, the, the, the soil is all tilled, it's level, my drip line is functioning, it's perfect, it's beautiful. And then you start to plant 
And that's my favorite part is, is the planting because you get all these tiny seeds. Some of them are so small, like you can't even, you can barely even see if you've planted them. Like they're just so tiny. And you plant all of your stuff, you cover it up with soil, you water, and then you wait. <laughs> and and, and you, you, there's, most people can kind of leave the waiting, right? They can kind of plant and go on with their lives and kind of work and do their thing. Not me. I'm out there every morning. I'm, I'm scouring the dirt to see if there's any signs of any breakthrough. I'm out there with a microscope just like, is that, a, is that my snap pee? Like, I, I love that season where things begin to kind of break through the ground a little bit. And I think the waiting place, whether that's a moment for you or a season, a prolonged season, is kind of like God's garden. It's kind of like God's garden where so often he's, he's planting and he's growing something in us, where he's forming something in us, where he's kind of doing his best work in us if we would just learn to wait upon the Lord, to wait upon God. But what does it mean to wait upon the Lord? Right, because what, what does this command mean? To wait. Does it mean we sort of just sit around and do nothing, just wait? We just wait for things to happen around us? Most of the time, we don't think about waiting as something we choose to do, right? It's kind of like something that happens to you. You know, you get stuck at a red light, now I'm stuck waiting. You, you know, you miss out on a job, now I'm, I'm waiting. I'm sort of, it's something that's almost imposed upon you, not something that you choose to do. More of a passive thing. But the biblical command is different. In the Old Testament in particular, the word wait is often translated a whole bunch of ways. Well, it's often translated as, as trust or even sometimes as hope. It's, a, it's an active action word. In fact, the ESV translation of, of Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, this is the familiar one, they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. But the NIV translation says it differently. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And the NLT says it even differently. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. So what is it? Is it wait? Is it trust? Is it hope? Yes. It's all of the above. To wait is, is, is to actively choose to trust. It's something you do. It's, it's a command. You can choose to trust. You can choose to hope. And we all choose to trust or hope in someone or something. But the biblical command to wait upon the Lord is an invitation to put your trust in the Lord. Is it possible that our unwillingness, our aversion to waiting upon the Lord reveals an unwillingness to trust in Him? Is it possible that our, our, our kind of resistance to seasons of waiting is actually a resistance to trusting? See, waiting on the Lord doesn't mean we do nothing and put our feet up. We do our part. We make our decisions. We make our plans. But to wait upon the Lord means we let go of control. We release control over the outcome. We let go of our grip over what will come. Most of the time, we try to kind of manufacture the outcome we want. We try to sort of take a shortcut. Have you ever done this at, at a checkout lane? Um, I do this all the time. And maybe this was you on Black Friday, and that's okay if it was. But you, you get into a line, and it's busy, maybe grocery store or something, busy time. And you start analyzing which line is going faster. And you're like, 
Okay, there's a grandma over there. She's got a full cart. That's going to be a while. You know, there's, uh, there's a single guy over there. He might be. And then, and then you take it a step further, and you start analyzing the teller who's checking out the items, and you start analyzing their pace. How many items per minute? What's their IPM? You know, you like start doing all the calculations because you're trying to get out of there as fast as possible, and it's ultimately like a minute, right? You switch lanes. Now you regret it. There's another lane that's moving faster. You look silly, and you get out of there like one minute faster. We do this all the time, though, don't we? In seasons of waiting, we try to like manufacture an outcome. We try to shortcut. We try to microwave that season to make it as short as possible. Ultimately, we take matters into our own hands. But if there's one thing I've learned about gardening... It's that no matter how much I stare at my plants, no matter how much I want them to grow, no matter how much water or fertilizer I put on top, I'm not in control of the growth. (laughs) I'm not in control of the outcome. I do my part. But then you have to let go. You have to release control. You have to learn to trust. I have to trust that something's happening beneath the ground where I can't see. And we have to trust in a season of waiting that God is doing something beneath what we see. He's growing something beautiful if we would let him do his work and if we would learn to wait. So the band is going to come to close, but if the waiting place is God's garden where he does his best work in us, could it be that he's inviting us to embrace the waiting place? Not to run from it, not not to shortcut it, but to actually embrace it as a formative season where God is growing something in us, to lean into the confusing in-between, to loosen our grip and learn to trust God. See, we we can either wait begrudgingly, impatiently, kind of, you know, frustrated all the while, trying to sort of speed things up at any chance we can, or we can embrace the waiting, We can learn to let go of our grip. We can learn to trust, to breathe deep and know that God is good. He's at work in ways we cannot see. In Isaiah 40, this command that we get, this beautiful command to wait upon the Lord or to put your hope in the Lord or to trust in the Lord. This command was given in those silent years, in in, in the middle of of, of when, when Israel was taken captive Uh, They they were exiled from their land and they're waiting for God to send his Messiah. And we get this command, wait upon the Lord. It would be centuries before Jesus came. Whole generations lived and died waiting for God to send his Messiah. But the reminder we need every Christmas season, maybe you need this this morning, is that Jesus did come. He did come to earth. He made good on his promise. Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the right time came, God sent his son. See, our hope, our trust, our waiting ultimately rest on the character of a God who is faithful to fulfill his promises, on a God who makes good on what he says. And the Christmas story is a reminder, if nothing else, of this one single fact. God is faithful. He's faithful even when we're not faithful. You can trust him. You can wait upon the Lord 
knowing that he will make good on his promises. You can hope in the Lord, knowing he will make good on his promises. You can wait upon the Lord, knowing he is faithful. And if you can learn to embrace the waiting place, it's painful, it, it's always longer than we like. It's hard, it's, it, 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 we wanna run the other way, we wanna get through it as quick as we can. But if you can learn to embrace the waiting place, there is a rich reward in store for you because God will be doing his best work in you. As you lean in, not away, as you, as you allow him to do his work, as you embrace the waiting, it's not wasted time. And in the midst of it, God will be growing something beautiful in you, something beautiful in us. So what is it that you're waiting for in this season? Breakthrough, a financial breakthrough, a spouse, a relationship, a purchase, child, a fresh start. Maybe a better question could be, what is it that God is growing in you while you wait? What is it that God wants to grow in you this Christmas season as we step into a story that is marked by waiting, by longing, by expectation and anticipation? What is it that God wants to grow in you? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the story of Christmas. God, as we just enter into this, this series and this story and this season, we're expectant for all that you wanna do in us. And God, even just in this moment, uh, with these people in this room, those online, we take a moment just to submit to your work in our lives, in our hearts. We just say, come, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Your will be done in us. Your kingdom come in us. We open ourselves up to you this morning, Jesus, to meet us in our waiting. More than that, though, God, we open ourselves up to trust you in our waiting, to put our hope in you, to put our faith in you, to wait upon you. And so God, for those who are in a season, maybe a prolonged season of waiting for something or someone, would you help them reorient their trust around you, around your character? Would you remind us, God, of this simple fact this Christmas season that you are faithful? You are faithful. You make good on your promises. And so we trust you. Together we pray in Jesus' name, amen.